so worthy to be praised. There are a couple of things I want to say to you in the beginning uh, before I begin teaching. Uh, first of all, we're glad that you are here, especially those of you that are visiting with us. I know uh, folks are kind of scattered here this morning, but we wanted today, which really looks like the first um, Sunday of summer, even though we're still in May, to begin a, a, a summer equipping time in the Word. And so as we started in January, you remember we, we said this was going to be a year of equipping. And so there are several things that we've been doing through the year with the marriage conference that we had and uh, some, several of the other teachings that we have done to equip you. We've launched, you know, middle school uh, class over there, also equipping them. And we've been working in our children's ministry. But this summer, we're going to teach through uh, the book of Acts. And so we also provided for you a little booklet and uh, so that you can just track with us. Now, uh, let me ask you to do something that we typically are not very good at. And that is keep track of this. So that uh, we don't have to hand you a new one every Sunday when you come in. So write your name on it. Keep track of it. The other thing that we were asking you to do today, and we're going to continue to do that, is for you to bring a print Bible to church during the summer. Did anybody bring a print Bible with them today? Uh, raise it up high and just wave it at me a little bit. Okay, okay, okay. More of you than what I expected. I thought some of you were going to have to go to the bookstore and buy one. Okay, so we're going we're, we're gonna to do the print Bible. Uh, I still have it electronically obviously here and some of you instead of opening the pages you're going to be tapping on the link that's fine with me but but I want us to honor the word of God and let me tell you what we're going to do is every Sunday we're going to have a reading out of the word of God and we're going to make a declaration about the powerful word of God how it is alive and it is powerful in fact we're going to just start it today okay everybody so why don't you stand with me and if you want to open your print Bible to chapter 1, the book of Acts, we're going to do it now. And I'm going to read for you a, a passage. And so our key verse, if you, want in the, if you want to fill that out in your booklet, could be Acts 1-8. But we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Okay, everybody? And so I'm going to read it. You read along. And I'm reading out of the... Uh, English Standard Version. Some of you might have different versions. If the wording's a little bit different, trust me, it's, it's all really good, and it's there. Acts 1, verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, now this is, this is Luke that's writing this to Theophilus. He said, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. Verse 3, he says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion... While he was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Then they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him in their sight. That's the word of God, everybody. I want you to take a look at the screen here. And I want you to repeat this declaration with me this morning, if you would. Everybody, maybe you could even hold your Bible up high. Come on, everybody. And maybe you can repeat this with me. Everybody say it. This is my Bible. It is a lamp to, unto my feet, a light unto my path. I will believe every word. I will claim every promise. And I will live by every command. That was really weak, everybody. Y'all are not used to doing this. But when, when we're making a declaration, we're declaring something. And you guys are acting like you can't speak loudly in church. We're going to do this again. Come on, everybody. Let's read it together, all, in, all together at one time. Say it with me. This is my Bible. It is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will believe every word. I will claim every promise. And I will live by every command. Now, come on, everybody. Let's give him praise for the word of God. Hallelujah. All right, you can be seated. I just want you to get this because uh, there are words to believe, not portions of it. There are promises to claim and there is obviously commands for us to live by so today let's get started in the book of acts we read verse uh, verses one through nine i'm going to cover acts one and two this morning and i'm going to just say this also if you came to christian life and you were looking for a little sermonette that's going to be about 15 maybe 20 minutes to just hang in there today. It's going to be a lot more than that. And you don't have to come back if you don't want to. But if you're hungry for the word of God and you want to equip in the word of God, you need to buckle up and come in, be ready to take notes and really receive from the word. Because we're going to teach through the Bible the whole summer. Okay, everybody? All right. So let me just kind of give you an introduction. This is, a, this is such an interesting um, book of scripture that God has given us. And the book of Acts is really the second volume of two books that was written by Luke. The, obviously, the first one is the Gospel of Luke, who, by the way, was a physician. And he was one of the traveling workers that traveled with the Apostle Paul. In fact, Colossians 4.14, uh, the Apostle Paul says this to the church at Colossae, that Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. Um, in the first book, he just wrote in his introduction, Luke did, to Theophilus. He says, listen, in the first book, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do. All the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay? And then the second thing that he said 
is regarding the book of Acts. It deals with everything that Jesus continued to do through his followers. And if you look at your um, at one of the title pages in your little workbook that we've given you, we give this definition that the book of Acts was written to show us the ongoing work of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through his church. Now, I want, that, I want to leave that up there because I want you to see this because tradition, tradition titles the book of Acts as the Acts of the Apostles. That's really not what this is about. It's about so much more. Luke's gospel, he, he taught what Jesus began to do and teach. In the book of Acts, Luke is teaching and showing us what Jesus continued to do through, by the Holy Spirit through his church, through his followers. And so you got to see this. There's this ongoing work of Jesus, and it has this strong connection in this writing of the book of Acts with the gospel of Luke. In fact, uh, this ongoing work, Jesus established this in the book. He said that he had come to restore God's kingdom on the planet, on the earth, in the world. And in Luke's gospel, it was clear that Jesus would start first with Israel. In fact, we find Jesus calling Israel to come and live under God's reign because Jesus was presented as king. Of course, we know that when he was resurrected, we sang about it today, he became King Jesus, everybody. He became King Jesus. He was crowned with the right crown, not the crown of thorns, but the crown of victory and power. And you say amen? And in the book of Acts, Luke shows us that the kingdom of God would not be limited to Israel. Instead, the kingdom would advance. We read about it. It would start in Jerusalem, but it would go through all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so I want you to see this kingdom connection between the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. In fact, in the book of Luke, I'll read you a couple of verses. You might want to write these down in your notes. Luke chapter 22, verse 28. Uh, Jesus, this is before he has been crucified. He is saying to his disciples, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. This is just before he went to the cross. In verse 29, he says, and I, look at this, everybody. I am assigning a kingdom to you. I want you to see this. He said, I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom. Now, this is what I'm saying. Luke made sure that the readers understood that Jesus came to be King Jesus. And he established his kingdom. And that he would assign that kingdom to his followers. He assigned the same assignment. Can we say it this way? The same assignment Jesus had, he gave to his disciples. It would be okay for us to say the same assignment the disciples had, he has given to us. And that is to advance the kingdom, to become kingdom people. In Luke, we find also that the risen Jesus came explaining what that assignment would be. In fact, Luke 24, this is after the resurrection and Jesus showed up in his new body, risen from the dead, and he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. This is Luke 24, verse 45. Look what he said. 
And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to, everybody say that with me, all nations. Again, and he said, beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I want you to see this. The reason Jesus is coming back and he said, that assignment I gave you, now I want you to go and preach that there is forgiveness to be received, forgiveness to be had. Right, everybody? Through the cross and through the preaching to all nations. That's why we're still working on nations. That's why we care about unreached people groups because this is our assignment. It was given to the disciples. They did a great work. The church has kind of defaulted on this or got lazy about it. But in these last days, we have got to step up and preach forgiveness to the nations. Will you guys accept this assignment with me? Come on, everybody. This is our assignment that we preach forgiveness to the nations. And look at verse 49, and he said this, and I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You just got to get this, everybody, because the book of Acts begins with this incredible impartation of power in the early church. And when you read through the book of Acts, the very first chapter, you see that the risen Christ, this is the most incredible thing. I, I, think, I think we read it so much that we get conditioned to it. But you understand that for 40 days, the risen Jesus hung out with his disciples. Not just his disciples, but hundreds of people. And he was proving to them with convincing signs that he was indeed alive and risen from the dead. I don't know about you, but I say, whoa. I mean, think about that. And he was training them and prepping them for this assignment that he had given them. And he promises that the Spirit will soon come and is going to provide two things for them. It's going to provide power and his presence. Power and his presence. Okay, I want you to get this, that we have received the promise of his power and his personal presence in our life. He calls it the promise of the Father, okay? And so we read about this. They were meeting on the Mount of Olives, and there Jesus is giving these last words about their assignment and the wait for the promise of the Father, the power that was going to come, and then he ascended to the Father. And when he ascended to the Father, a cloud received him. They watched him go. Remember, we didn't read about it, but the angels are saying, why are you looking up there like so sad and miserable? Because he, the same Jesus you saw going up, he's coming back one day. When the assignment gets fulfilled, everybody, he's coming back. Okay. And so after Jesus ascended, they went back up into the upper room. This is the place where they had the Passover meal. So they went in the upper room, and it wasn't just the 11. Remember, Judas is gone, but... Uh, Luke says there were 120, and he points out that even Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there with them. And they're in, well, I'll read it to you. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. And these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. All of the Catholics like me that was raised in the Catholic church, you know, I remember when somebody pointed out to me, I'm like, Mary was there. 
Mary was waiting for the Holy Ghost? Did Mary speak in tongues? And the answer to that is, yes, she did. Oh, it's got quiet. I didn't mention speaking in tongues. I know it got weird all of a sudden. But Mary, the mother, was there and his brother. So his whole family was there. And this chapter ends with the followers. A lot has happened in Acts 1. Jesus has ascended after giving them this command. Remember, we're looking for every promise, the promise of the Father. We're claiming every promise. And we're going to obey or live by every command. So they're waiting for the promise of the Father. They're in the upper room probably about 10 days. And then it finally happened. 40 days with them. Okay, he's teaching and training and preparing them and promising something. 40 days later, Jesus ascends. 10 days they're in the upper room and they are praying and waiting and waiting and praying. And praying and waiting and waiting and praying. Praying and waiting and waiting and praying. Day after day. 10 days is a long time to hang on to a promise. But they did. And then we come to Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And then suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I just read to you four verses in Acts chapter 2 that probably is the most neglected four verses in the modern-day church in America of all of the Bible. And people don't want to talk about it because they consider it too controversial. They, they don't want to talk about it because people have um, acted silly or goofy or weird or gotten flaky about that event, trying to reproduce something in the flesh that needs to be only an encounter with the Spirit, right? Okay, so... So we're going, to try to, we're going to try to get a handle on this and understand how this relates to us today. Because, listen, the book of Acts is not just a history book. It's a model of, for, the, for our church today. I, I'm going to say it again. When you read through this book, there are, very, there are a few things that were specific only to that generation. Like there, there were the foundation founding apostles that were there. there were, this was the first initial outpouring. But there's very little that happens in the book of Acts that we should not be claiming, praying for, believing God, seeing in the modern day church. We need the power of God. We need the power of God. And I want to call you to this during this, uh, this equipping session through the summer. The first thing I want you to point out is so fitting. In fact, I wanted to begin this way back in the, in the winter when we were planning this because I took a look and I found that on the church calendar today is Pentecost Sunday. Did you know that, everybody? Today is Pentecost Sunday. This is the 50th day after Easter, which is Pentecost Sunday. And it's, so what does that mean? Well, the, the, day, the day of Pentecost was this annual um, harvest festival that happened 50 days after the Passover. And so Jews would come from all around the region and it was, it was a pilgrimage festival and they would bring the first fruits of their crops, the first fruits of their harvest. It, it was a harvest festival. 
and they would bring it to Jerusalem and they would offer it unto the Lord. So that's why in Jerusalem, there were people from everywhere. They're Jews that had made their pilgrimage. They had already, it was about just a little over a month ago, they were there at the Passover and now they, then they've gone home and now they've made their way back bringing their first fruits offerings to the Lord. And so Pentecost became a very important holiday. And I want you to see this because at the Passover weekend, God brought a salvation through the sacrificial lamb. But on the day of, of Pentecost, God gave us the power of the harvest by an enablement through the Holy Spirit. It's incredible how God's timing is just perfect. And we just read that when this initial outpouring of the promise of the Father that, that Jesus promised in the book of Luke, and then one of the last things he said before he left, before he was ascended, when this initial outpouring, there were two elements that, were, that are just pretty amazing. And, and, and I want to talk to you about them. There was wind and there was fire. There was wind and there was fire. Okay, everybody, I want you to get this. And really to understand this, I think you gotta, you got to understand a little bit about the Old Testament tabernacle that became the temple of God. Because in the Old Testament, God's presence, um, it filled the temple. Or his presence was there. Remember last week, Landon was talking about the, the Holy of Holies, where the veil was rent. And there was, God's presence was on the mercy seat there. And, and they, it could only be visited like once a year on the Day of Atonement. But the Old Testament prophets, they predicted that in the Messianic kingdom, that God's presence would no longer dwell in the building, but it would dwell amongst the people, in the hearts of the people. This is what Jesus came. This is why the veil was rent from top to bottom, because Jesus wanted, through the work of, of your salvation, he wants you to have access to the presence of God. He wants to, by the Spirit, to dwell inside of you. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Okay, I just am preaching something really good here. And aren't you glad that you didn't have to come to church to experience God? When you woke up this morning, all you had to do was say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Because he was there with you when you opened your eyes. In fact, he was watching over you while you were sleeping. And when you're driving on your way home, the Holy Ghost is there with you, in you. He shall be with you, Jesus said, but he also shall be in you. Hello, is anybody listening to me today? You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. God, through Christ, has chosen to tabernacle with you. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, it's amazing. In the Old Testament, when they were delivered out of Egypt, God gave them instructions on how to build the tabernacle where there would be atonement for sins, and how that his presence would fill the tabernacle. We went and visited several years ago in Shiloh where the, where the tabernacle sat for hundreds of years. It was just the most amazing thing. And in Leviticus chapter 6, God told Aaron, he says, this is very interesting, that there is a fire is going to come. My fiery presence is going to be released. And you build an altar. And when the fire comes, don't ever let it burn out. In Leviticus chapter 9, the story is right there. At the proper time when God chose, the Bible says a fire came from the presence of the Lord and it ignited the offering on, at the altar 
in the tabernacle. Could you imagine this heavenly fire coming down from heaven? It consumed the sacrifice, and the instruction there was that they were to never let the fire go out. And they kept that holy fire burning for years and years and years and years and years. There's some great preaching stuff in this. you got to catch the revelation of this because at the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God sent the fire from heaven into the tabernacle of our hearts and he ignited with his fiery presence the early church and gave them power to burn for the kingdom of God. That's a good opportunity for you to give a big glory to God. You say, is this really true? Well, what did John the Baptist testify about? He said that Jesus would come baptizing his followers with the Holy Spirit and, say it, everybody. Oh, y'all, y'all didn't say, y'all sounded like you were a little meek and timid. You said, fire. If you were preaching this, you would want to get some inspiration. You would say, Fire. John said he's going to come and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And come on, everybody, fire. And he did. Here's the next amazing thing. You know, because fire changes everything. You, 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 glory to God. Fire changes everything. And when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, your life will never, ever, 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 ever be the same. And some of you have been filled with the Holy Spirit and you're just about as dead as you can be. You know why? Because you haven't kept it burning. Jesus doesn't waste words. The Bible is full of truth, everybody. And what God was saying in the Old Testament is that when I light the fire in your life, don't you dare let it just burn out. You got to keep the fire going. We're going to talk a lot about that, everybody. Then there was wind. The wind came blowing. I find it so interesting that these two elements of fire and wind were so prophetic. You know, the word wind in the Old Testament and New Testament, it relates to breath, the breath of God. And I want you to get this because because in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living person. John 20, when Jesus was ministering to his disciples about to go, he he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, here's John's version, I'm also sending you. As the assignment I had, I'm giving it to you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I want you to see that breath is connected with the receiving of the Holy Spirit. I want you to see that that breath is connected with God bringing life to something. Oh, glory to God. Everybody wants you to see this because on the day of Pentecost, it's like God gathered up all the saints in a new dusty gathering, and he formed a church. And at the right time on the harvest day, he breathed out upon them from heaven. The creative breath of God came rushing from heaven into Jerusalem. 
and God breathed into the nostrils of all of those believers, and they, along with fire, they became a living person. The church was born that day, and that's why the church is still alive today, because God breathed life into it when he poured out his spirit upon the saints that were there. I just want you to see this, everybody. Wind, fire, the breath of God. God birthed something on the day of Pentecost. Most people hate the word Pentecost. I mean, a lot of people just get so upset about it because they relate it to really goofy or, or legalistic stuff, and they don't like the word. I wish, you just, I wish you would stop with all of that. The word Pentecost is a great word. It's a wonderful word. It's all about the harvest and God empowering his saints to bring a worldwide harvest and build the kingdom of God. We need Pentecostal fire. We need Pentecostal wind. We need a relationship with the Holy Spirit that empowers and ignites and sends forth the church on the move. I find it so interesting how the devil loves to pervert and twist biblical truth and cause there to be a negative connotation with it. We want to we break those things off of us, everybody. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. God is not dwelling in buildings made with hands. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Don't you know that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And if anyone defiles the kingdom, God will destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, so that's the purpose of the wind and the fire. Now, I want to talk to you about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Because in Acts chapter 2, after the wind and the fire came and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, 120 of them, they were in the upper room, they spilled out into the city early in the morning, about 9, nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. And they're speaking in unknown languages. These were languages that were unknown to them. They were speaking by the utterance of the Spirit. And many, most of this, the Bible says, was prophetic in that they were speaking uh, of, the, of the things of God to people that were hearing their languages. I don't know if they were speaking perfect grammar in each language, or I don't know if perhaps the Holy Spirit was just opening up the ears, but this was a miraculous thing that took place. And it was an undeniable thing that was happening. And if I find this really interesting because, um, well, let's just read it. We're studying the book of Acts. Are y'all Okay. Are y'all going to be able to hang here with me until about 1130 today? And then you can go get you some lunch and celebrate Memorial Day. Let me read this to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 7. And it says, the people in the city, they were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking our own native languages. Look, he says, here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, from Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and those converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Look, and we all hear these people speaking our languages about the wonderful things God has done. How many of you would love to have been there on that day? Amazing. I want you to see this. 
And it says in verse 12, they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? But others in the crowd ridiculed them. They're just drunk. That's all that's going on. I want you to, I want you to see something because it still happens today. There will always be those who are amazed and perplexed when God begins to do supernatural things. And there will always be those who will ridicule and make fun. If you're intimidated by those that like to ridicule the things of God, you're in for a miserable life. Because I'm telling you, there are lots of enemies of the cross and people that hate the name of Jesus who are going to do all they can to ridicule and to deceive your children and grandchildren. But let me tell you something. What they need is the power of God. They need you and me to be filled with the fire of the Holy Ghost and they need a fresh wind of God's Spirit breathing life into them. That's what they need. And if the church gives up our uniqueness or gives away because of unbelief our desire to have everything that God wants for us, then the church, the world, then the church will not be able to impact the world the way that it should. Okay? That's why we're teaching this. So you have these that are excited, they're listening, and then Peter stands up, by the way, before Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, remember, he's denying Jesus because of people that were ridiculing him. Three times he denied Jesus. Then he's hiding away and behind locked doors. Now he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and all these people are laughing and making fun and saying they're drunk. Look at these people are acting crazy. I don't know what's going on. This is a big setup. This ain't real. Somebody's manipulating. And, and Peter stands up, and he begins preaching. He preaches the church's first sermon. It's incredible. You should read it, everybody. And then you come to Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, if everything that you're saying is true, then what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember, that was his assignment, preach to the nations. So many nations represented here. So the assignment was being done. Then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise to you, your children, and to those who are far away, and to all of those who are called by the Lord our God. So I want you to see that the promise of the Father was not just for the Jews and those present in Jerusalem. It was for them, and it wasn't just for that generation because he said it's going to be for you and for your children and for those who are outside of this city and those who are far away. The context here is not just geographical. It's also, it's also generationally. And so a lot of people say, well, all that happened there shouldn't be happening today. It was only for the first generation. Well, listen, everybody, can I just help you? Would you stop letting the devil sell you, a, a, you know, short on what God's promises are to you? What he promised them, the promise still exists for us today. We have the promise of the Father also to experience the breath of God that's refreshing and produces life and the fire of God that ignites in us a passion for the, power, the, for the things of God. I want you to embrace it, everybody. So it wasn't just for that original group. I mean, in Acts chapter 8, the Samaritan believers, they heard the word and and. Peter and John prayed for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. On down the road in Acts chapter 19, the apostle Paul 
I also found uh, believers at Corinth, and as he passed through Ephesus, he came and he found some disciples, and he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, we didn't even know. We were baptized in the John's baptism of repentance. He laid his hands on them. They received the power of the Holy Ghost. Five times in the book of Acts, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. One time it happened while Peter was just preaching. He was preaching in a, in a Gentile's home, and while he was preaching... Then the anointing just came and erupted his preaching and people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, and they began speaking in tongues. It's why Peter said, well, I guess what God has done for the Jews, he's doing also for the Gentiles. He also wants to do among all the nations. So everybody, I want you to hang with me. Uh, we're going to be teaching through this whole summer. Some of you got questions. I, the, here's what I'm inviting you to do. Send me an email with all of your questions. It, there's some that I might answer from the platform, but there's some that I would love to answer to you via email. So you, you're welcome to do that. I just want you to see that there were amazing results that manifested in this 120 after they had received the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm putting them on the screen for you. You're going to going to be writing really quickly, but you, you will have these notes in a PDF available to you also. But I want you to see what happened here. These are the five results that manifested after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Can y'all read those? Is that big enough that you can read? Here's number one. The spirit-filled believers became united like never before. They were not in unity. They were fighting for their position. But now they're in unity. They're working together. Peter and John, who really had a lot of jealousy towards one another, are now partners in ministry. And God's doing miracles, provide producing miracles from them. Here's number two. The spirit-filled believers became power, a powerful praying people. Before, they couldn't even stay awake for an hour and pray. Wow. Well, when the resurrected Jesus sent the promise of the Father to them, they become amazing praying people. They, they prayed in buildings shook. Here's number three. The spirit-filled believers exchanged the fear of man for boldness. We just talked about that, right? They were locked, hiding away. Here's number four. The spirit-filled believers became a prophetic people. Jesus was having to open up their eyes, and he repeated things over and over. They, they couldn't see what he was talking about in the spirit. But now after they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, they're hearing the voice of God. They're seeing images of the kingdom of God. We're going to study a bunch of them all through the book of Acts. Everybody, can I just tell you, this should be common in our day because we are the people of God, and we should be prophetic people. Here's the last one. The spirit-filled people became passionate soul winners for Christ. They died because of their assignment. They gave their lives entirely to their assignment to take the gospel to the nations and preach forgiveness through repentance. And they died serving him that way. Incredible. So I just want that to sink in. Because after, this is what happened to the upper room community. They went in weak and scared and divided, not able to really pray. They came out bold, prophetic, and passionate. All they cared about was reaching people. Now... This is our first start. 
This is our first start to this teaching, everybody. And I don't think it would be right if I finished and didn't give you what I believe are ways for you to press in to the powerful experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about you personally. The promise was to you and to your children and to those who are afar off and to whom all the Lord your God shall call. That's a pretty big bracket, isn't it, everybody? Everybody that the Lord would call. What, what's the promise? The promise that was prophesied by Joel that, that, that your young men would see visions and old men would dream dreams and their sons and daughters would prophesy, okay? This is the promise. And so here's, I'm going to give you seven steps, okay? Again, you got, this is why you have a notebook. You can write it in now or you can, we'll have it online for you. But I'm going to give you seven steps that I believe that will help you press into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number one, you got to repent of your sins and turn to God. You remember there was an instance in, um, in the book of Acts, we'll study this probably, there was an instance whenever there was a guy that tried to buy the ability to give people the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he got judged by God instantly, and it doesn't work that way. This is a gift for believers. This is a gift for people that have totally surrendered themselves to God. Peter said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. So that's number one. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent of your sins and turn to God. In, in Acts chapter 5, at one point, Peter also says that God will give the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. So if you're living in disobedience and you're not walking out your repentance and right with God, then you're just letting the fire burn out. This, this is how you keep the fire burning as you stay close to God. Okay, here's number two. A passionate desire for the fullness of the Spirit is necessary. It's just necessary. A passionate desire for the fullness of the Spirit. I can't imagine 120 with the ladies and, and other distant followers. They're in the upper room for 10 days waiting. They, they said, we ain't moving. They had a passionate desire for the fullness of the Spirit. They were not passive either, everybody. Listen to me, everybody. They, they were not passive. They weren't sitting in the upper room saying, well, if God wants us to have it, I guess he'll give it to us. It says they were praying in one accord, and they were worshiping. They were pressing into the things of God. This is an attitude that many people have. Well, if God wants me to have any gifts of the Spirit, he'll just give it to me, and you just sit passively as though it doesn't matter. It does matter. It begins with a desire for, to have everything that God has. Well, somebody told me that this wasn't good or, the, or speaking in tongues was of the devil or we shouldn't do that. Look at it in the Word, everybody. Let's study the Word together. Let's let the Word be authority and not some preacher that was afraid of having people in his congregation praying in tongues. Okay, it's a little weak spattering, but I know it's a holiday. And, and um, let me give you another one. Number three, you got to pursue the promise. Okay? Luke chapter 11, so interesting. Jesus is teaching his disciples. 
And he says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Does everybody see this? Asking, seeking, knocking. That's pretty aggressive. That's a pursuit. Verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Well, I'm just worried if I get... If I have an experience with the Holy Ghost, it might be the devil. Can I just read what Jesus said? So which of the fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will he give him a snake instead? If you're asking God for something, are you really afraid that he's going to let the devil give you a counterfeit? Or he's going to impart a demon into you? If you're asking the father, do you really? That's foolishness, everybody. Okay? I want you to see this. Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? God won't allow that to happen. He doesn't do that. If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Read this with me, everybody. Say it. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I'm just challenging your faith. When is the last time that you asked the Father for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life? Okay, here's number four. Have other Spirit-filled believers pray with you. I'm just saying, these are some of the things that you can do. In Acts chapter 18, Peter and John laid their hands on them in Samaria, and they prayed to receive the Holy Spirit, and they did. Here's a a good one. Acts chapter 9. Ananias was called by God to go and pray for Saul, who later became Paul, because he had been blinded, the guy that was persecuting the church. And God, in a vision, spoke to Ananias and said, go and lay hands on Saul, because I have called him to a work. And in verse 17, it says that, When he showed up and prayed for Paul, he said, the Holy Spirit sent me so that I may see, that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he laid his hands on him. I want you to see this. And he said that the Holy Spirit has sent me that you can see again and be filled with the Spirit. Verse 9, chapter 19, Paul laid his hands on those in Ephesus, and they all were filled with the Spirit and prophesied. Sometimes it's just the best thing that you can do. You say, well, nobody's ever prayed with me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit or a fresh infilling or renewal of the Spirit. Well, I'll be happy to pray with you. You know what? Here's, here's an idea. How about you fast and pray? You seek the Lord, go through the scriptures, and come and see me on Saturday morning at 9 a.m. And we'll do our first Saturday prayer in here. Other people can go ahead and walk around, and they can pray over the building and all that. And all of you that are seekers that want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and want me to lay hands on you, I'll pray myself up. I'll repent of all my sins. I'll ask the Holy Ghost to fill me with the Spirit. And on Saturday morning... I'll stay here as long as there's people wanting me to pray with them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit this coming Saturday. You say, well, what if nothing happens? Oh, you mean if you're knocking and nobody answers? You keep knocking. But what if nothing happens? Oh, you mean you're seeking, but you hadn't found it yet? You keep on seeking. But what if nothing happens then? 
Oh, you mean you asked and you hadn't got an answer? Didn't Jesus say you keep asking and you keep seeking and you keep knocking and you don't quit? You don't believe a lie. You don't let the devil tell you that you're not worthy or it doesn't happen anymore. You just press in to the fullness until you get it. You grab a hold of these things of God and say, I will not be denied. I want everything that God has given me so I can accomplish my assignment in this earth. I'm just telling you, a lot of people have gotten discouraged because nothing's happened. You know why? Because oftentimes we're seeking tongues instead of seeking a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Stop seeking tongues because that is only a sign. I gave you five things that happened when they got filled with the Holy Spirit, and I didn't even mention tongues up there, did I? I'm just telling you, if God gives you a prayer language, then pray in the Spirit. If he doesn't, just don't get discouraged. Keep pressing the fullness of the Spirit and the power of God. I'm preaching so much better than you are amening. I don't know. Which leads me to number six. If the Holy Spirit gives an utterance in your mind, speak it out. Well, what if it's gibberish? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I was praying in tongues this morning. I do every day. I was praying over this, and you like, well, you must have just been speaking. In Can I just tell you, if, you, if you want to tell me that when I'm praying in tongues that I'm speaking gibberish, then you can have your opinion. But other people ridiculed the disciples, and they just kept on ministering in tongues. They just kept on preaching. I'm just going to keep on praying because there is something powerful that builds me up when I'm praying in my most holy faith, when I am praying in the Spirit. Let me show you this. Um, if 1 Corinthians 14, I, I Oh, I skipped one. Number five. Put number five up. When you are praying and asking and seeking and knocking, begin to pray and worship God with your spirit. There's something beyond your head. 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul was teaching about tongues and having it be in an order and not being phony or fake or weird or disturbing. But he says this, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. But my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do then? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my understanding also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my understanding. Okay, everybody, I just want you to see that there is a communication with God that is spirit-to-spirit communication. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, how in the world did you get saved? Because something down inside your spirit, when you were born again, when you became a new person, you were born of the spirit. You weren't born of the brain. You were born of the spirit. You weren't born with the intellect. Hello, everybody. You were born with the spirit. And so that, this is where you have a knower. God gave you a spirit so you could know God, so you could know the things of God. And, and, and when the Holy Spirit fills you, that your spirit man is, is what receives the things of God. You say, well, this is why when... when when people are worshiping God, sometimes you look at them and it's like, what's wrong with them? They're gone. Well, they are gone. They're just in the spirit. They're just worshiping God, spirit to spirit. They don't care about the babysitter or they don't care about what's happening down at Camino Real today at lunch. They don't care who's coming over tomorrow. They just are in the spirit, worshiping God in the spirit, and they are receiving a fullness. And I'm, number six, if the Lord gives you an utterance, speak it out. If the Spirit doesn't give the utterance, don't be discouraged. 
Just keep seeking God's fiery presence. I just have found that the modern day church makes this all about tongues. Is it right? Is it wrong? Should we do it? Should we not do it? Is it weird? It can't be. Is it demonic or is it God? I'm just telling you that they weren't expecting something to happen that was bringing them into a place where they were going to speak prophetically in tongues. It just happened. They were just seeking the power. Remember, that's what Jesus said. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is the promise of the Father. Jesus didn't say, I want you to go up there and I want you to stay up there until you can speak in tongues. That's not what he said. But you would think that's all that people hear. What he said is, I want you to stay up there. Don't leave the city because God is going to ignite a fire in you. He's going to release a power inside of you. And that power will be your ability to do the assignment, the thing that God has called you to do, to do it well. And if tongues becomes part of that, well, then glory to God. If it doesn't, and you don't have, haven't had that experience, don't get discouraged about it. Just keep seeking the things of God. Number seven, here's the last thing. Expect more as you continue to pursue with a seeker's heart. Just expect more. He lit a fire. Keep the fire going. I find this so interesting in Acts chapter 4. Their period of time has passed from the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 4, they, now have, they have now suffered in intense persecution. And it says that after they were praying, after they had been threatened to not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus, the early church got together and the place where they were meeting was shaken. Look at the next sentence. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That's my desire for us, everybody, is that we fully embrace the fact that the day of Pentecost was an initial outpouring of power that needs to be manifesting within his church worldwide today. What does it look like in your life? Just forget trying to compare yourself to everybody else. Just press into the things of God. It's not, listen, everybody. So you got saved and you're going to go to heaven when you die. But what about this life between the time that you got baptized in water and where you're going now? Don't you want to be filled with the power of God and use every gift that God has made available to us? I do. Come on, let's stand. Okay. We're off and running. I'm not sure... I'm not sure how you teach the book of Acts without talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Luke said that in my first book, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. But in the second book, I'm writing about what he has continued to do through the power of the Holy Spirit in a spirit-filled, fired-up church that would complete the assignment that he has given. Hallelujah. So I know I've been kind of aggressive and I've been kind of loud and, and kind of fun. I don't mean to ridicule anybody that has maybe taught against this. 
or, or, or maybe some of you have never even heard a teaching on the things of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So all I want you to do is just have an open mind. And some of you, you may have just become apathetic. And maybe this will light a fire in you to believe God for more. A deeper, more powerful relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so if you're in here and you're not right with God, man, this is, this is our assignment is to preach forgiveness through repentance to all the nations. Well, how about you? Let's get right with God. Everybody, just bow your heads with me. We're going to surrender our lives over fully to God. If you're in here, all it takes is a simple prayer, which is, Jesus, thank you for loving me in my sinfulness and dying on the cross, paying the price and the penalty for my sin. By faith, I receive that sacrificial work. And now I'm confessing my need to be forgiven. Will you forgive me of every sin and change my heart and make me right with God? All it takes is a prayer that's similar to that. But it needs to be followed up with, as a son, your son, as your daughter, I'm ready for the life that you called me to live. And forgive me for neglecting it. I'm pressing in. Hallelujah. I'll say this is the last thing I'm going to say. I think some of you, and I wasn't planning on saying this today, but I think the Holy Spirit, I think the Holy Spirit gave a challenge to you through me about this next coming Saturday. It wasn't in my plan. We don't have it scheduled. But I think some of you that really want more of God, and maybe you've been cold or you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you want to you want an encounter with him that maybe you ought to go home and really pray about this and put it on your schedule and come this Saturday and let us pray together. Amen? Amen. I tell you what, I'm going to let the worship team just worship as you leave. Some of you might not be in a hurry and you might want to just come up here and pray a little bit. But they're going to worship our way out. I know it's holiday weekend, but we are launched into our summer in the book of Acts. Come on, everybody. We're studying what Jesus continues to do through the Spirit, by the Spirit, in His church. God bless you, everybody. Have a great Sunday.